Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 18, and that's on page 1177 of the Church Bibles. Uh, Ephesians 6, starting at verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Thanks be to God. Good morning. And as I listened to Mark speaking about prayer and hearing or not hearing those very helpful questions from Slow, I wondered what else I needed to say in the next 25 minutes. But as Emma has kindly read the passage, I think I will crack on as though I heard nothing of what Mark said. Um, but hopefully it will complement uh, what we've heard already about prayer. Allow me to pray. Almighty God, we thank you for equipping the Apostle Paul with many gifts which he used faithfully, both to proclaim the gospel and to encourage and build up those who believed it and accepted it. Please help us by your spirit that we might use the words you gave to Paul to build us up in our faith in the Saviour's name. Amen. Yeah, farewells are sad occasions, and it really is sad this morning that we are saying farewell to our beloved Ephesians. But I'm hoping that many of us will regularly be drawn back to it. Um, and as we've seen, Ephesians is full of gospel from start to truth, from start to finish. Possibly there is, uh, someone has said there's more gospel packed into this book per square inch than in any other book in the Bible. And I think probably we've come to accept that that is true. Uh, the first half, almost entirely gospel explanation, and the second, gospel application. And at the end of the letter, as we saw last week, we have an appropriate warning that there is constant opposition to the gospel from the devil. Those who live by the gospel and long to proclaim the gospel must be prepared to combat all the devil's schemes and all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we're not just given the warning, we are also instructed on how we can be equipped as we engage in this spiritual battle. But perhaps I ought to pause for a minute, because I've already mentioned the word gospel, I think several times, seven or eight times. There may be some here who are saying, well, what is this gospel? So perhaps I can just pause and take for a minute 
uh, to explain what the gospel is. Well, we're all sinful people, and we've all offended God, who is holy, and he cannot tolerate sin. And so we all stand under his judgment. We all stand condemned. But the good news, the gospel, is that God's love is such that he sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve. He did that when Jesus was crucified. So we are saved from God's judgment and have the promise of eternal life if we repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died in our place and if we ask God to forgive our sin. This is the gospel, which means good news. I thought I just wanted to make that clear uh, because Ephesians is full of the gospel and it's a great book. But we need to fully understand, and perhaps there were some here who weren't too sure what we meant uh, by the gospel. But back to today's passage and verses 18 to 20. And they're a continuation of Paul's instruction to the church and to us today on how we can stand firm in the face of our enemy's attacks. Prayer is an essential part of our preparation for the battle. We must put on the armour, we must put on that armour of God, but we must also pray. I cannot recall when I last sang the hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Some of you are far too young to have ever sung it. But there are, it has two lines which just came back to me as I was preparing. Put on the gospel armour, each piece put on with prayer. I think that is a good reflection of Paul's emphasis on the crucial role of prayer alongside the wearing of the armour. Before we look at this passage, let us remind ourselves of what Paul says about the enemy. I think there are three things which provide a helpful summary. So we just move up. Uh, if we've got our Bibles open on page 1177, um, we just move up to verse 12. The three things I think we see here. The enemy is powerful in verse 12. Our struggle is against powers and against rulers. Secondly, the enemy is evil, again in verse 12. And thirdly, the enemy is cunning. We see that in verse 11, the devil's schemes. There's no disputing how Satan causes powerful rulers to engage in acts of extreme evil against humanity. There's so much evidence of that today and there has been throughout history. And if we wonder how some of the most powerful leaders across the world can commit so vile and evil acts and then try to justify them, the answer, I believe, lies in verses 12, 11 and 12. There's no dispute in how cunning Satan is in causing politicians and other leaders, even those who have authority in our courts of law, to believe that what is evil is actually good for us. Some of you will have read this week about the parents who made a complaint against the school which compelled children as young as four to participate in a pride parade. The complaint went to the court 
and was dismissed. The court said that the event was just part of a general programme to promote equality and inclusivity. One of those parents and those supporting them are emphatic that the judgment from the court bears no resemblance to what actually happened. They have said it uses contorted logic and distortion of the facts to fit an ideological outcome that it appears the court had already decided uh, that was a conclusion they would reach. And the parent added, it turns black into white and white into black. Surely this is an example of how cunning Satan is, and we've seen this over uh, many times over the last few years, how he can deceive and how he can cause truth to be distorted, even by those who have the responsibility of applying our laws in the courts. How desperately we need to pray. But let us not forget, let us not despair. We must never forget that when we pray, when we pray in the name of Jesus, he is the one who is seated at God's right hand and is far above all other rule and authority, power and, and dominion. We were reminded of that in chapter 1, verse 21. So let us look at what Paul has to say about prayer. And firstly, pray in the Spirit. What does this mean? We must remember that prayer is not the only thing that Christians are called upon to do in the Spirit. Amongst others, uh, the Bible tells us we're instructed to walk in the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit, and to give thanks in the Spirit. The whole Christian life is to be lived in the Spirit. Everything we do is to be done in or by the Spirit. So praying in the Spirit is the normal means of Christian prayer. It doesn't mean using a formula or a particular set of words or praying in a mystical way. It's praying according to the Spirit's leading. It is praying for things the Spirit leads us to pray. We have the Holy Spirit as our helper. Romans 8.26 is a very familiar uh, verse on this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And that means, I think, that there are times when our burdens are so great that we can't find words, appropriate words, and we can do no more than groan towards God. And I'm sure I've certainly had that experience. I'm sure that we've all had those times when we are completely lost for words, but the groaning of our spirit-filled heart is the very groaning of the spirit, which God himself understands. He knows our heart. And so we're being helped by the spirit to pray. And I think that's what the spirit does regularly, not just when we're at a loss for words, and increasingly that's a problem for me as I stumble for words. My vocabulary seems to be shrinking with age. The Spirit is the great helper with our prayers. He prompts, he enables, he empowers us in prayer. And secondly, um, Paul says, pray on all occasions. What did Paul mean 
by pray on all occasions or at all times, which is the phrase used in many other translations. And perhaps that's self-evident. Perhaps Paul really meant, follow my example. For he was a great man of prayer himself. From what we can gather from his letters, he prayed constantly for the people and churches with whom he was in contact, as we've seen in Ephesians. And of course, Paul would not have been satisfied with arrow prayers, as we might be tempted to be. He was not overwhelmed with, by urgent personal prayer needs, by WhatsApp messages at uh, every hour of day and night, as we often are. When he prayed, it would have been at a, set, a time set aside especially for that purpose. I cannot imagine that many of his prayers would have been prayers just on the go. There is a place for those Arab prayers and uh, we all use them and it's very appropriate and they meet a real need. But they should only supplement our regular prayer times. I came across this quote from Billy Graham. We are to pray in times of adversity lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. And we are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. And if there are any other times that Billy Graham hasn't mentioned, then those we should pray then as well. And then Paul tells us, pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. The hymn we sang, What a Friend in Jesus, rightly encourages us to take all our troubles, anxieties and concerns to the Lord in prayer and, of course, on behalf of others too. That is the value of prayer, that nothing is too small or trivial to bring before our Heavenly Father. And our prayers may be groanings as we struggle to find the right words to express our feelings or they may be a simple cry for help. What a an amazing privilege we have. But again, we need to think about Paul's prayers. How did he pray for the believers? He did not pray that they would become more comfortable and kept safe. He did not even pray that their churches would double in size. He prayed that they would become more Christ-like and grow in grace. We've seen that in prayers in Ephesians. Can I just encourage us to look back at chapter 3, verse 16, just to remind us of the, the nature and the, quality, the depth in Paul's prayers. Chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his right glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. How do our prayers measure up to prayers like that? And in other of his letters too, for the church in Philippi, Paul prayed that their love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. To the Christians in Colossae, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And for the church in Thessalonica, that the Lord Jesus would be glorified in them. I didn't come across any prayers that were simply for the comfort of those Christians, but prayers that they might become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had an amazing ministry as a church planter, evangelist, teacher, and preacher. But when we read how he committed he was to prayer, would we be wrong to think that his prayers could have brought as much fruit for the gospel and for the building of Christ's church as did his teaching and preaching. What an amazing ministry he had in prayer. And note that Paul's instruction is for all kinds of prayers and requests, and he probably has in mind uh, prayers of confession, thanksgiving and praise, as well as our petitions and requests. And another challenge for me, and possibly others, in my praying, our confession, thanksgiving and praise completely overshadowed by my petitions. Next, uh, Paul instructs us to be alert. Paul exhorts us to be alert. It reminds us of Jesus' appeal to the disciples to watch with him in Gethsemane. Perhaps Paul has in mind spiritual attacks and temptations or being alert to the need or opportunities to pray for others. And then, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. It's good to notice the repetition of the word all in this passage. Keep on praying. It's easy to start praying for someone or a situation. Keeping on praying, persevering, is often much more difficult, especially when there is no sign of any change in the situation. But why did Jesus tell his disciples the parable of the persistent widow? We read in Luke 18 that it was to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It was over a year ago that we decided that we would meet on a Saturday once a month to pray for the situation in Ukraine. Um, I'm not sure that we thought how long we might continue to pray if the war did not, did not end quickly. And I did wonder, just a few weeks ago, when might we continue until? Uh, but it seems right, according to what we read here and what Jesus taught, that we should keep on praying, especially for the Lord's people 
affected by that awful war. And the instruction is to pray for all the Lord's people. Our concern should be for uh, Christ's church nationwide and worldwide, especially for those nations where believers are enduring persecution, but not only for those. There are many lands where the church of Christ is not under persecution, but is really struggling in terms of growth. We should be praying for the Lord's church across the globe. And then to verse 19, which might come as a bit of a shock. Paul, the great apostle, who everyone looks up to and who prays magnificent prayers for everyone, asks for prayer for himself. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We might have expected Paul to be too proud to admit his need for prayer or at least too proud to ask others to pray. And we might have expected that his greatest wish would be a change in his personal circumstances. Uh, Being in prison as he was, he might have felt justified in asking and praying for his release so that his ministry could be more effective. But no, he accepts the situation he's in. He wants people to pray for him as he recognises his greatest need which has nothing to do with his personal circumstances. It's gospel-related. Despite all his past experience and the courage he has displayed in preaching the gospel, he recognises not his ability, but his weakness. He asks people to pray that whenever he speaks about the mystery of the gospel, the Lord would give him the right words and he would speak fearlessly. question I ask myself, do I delight to pray for others but hold back from asking others to pray for me? And if so, that's true for me and for others, why? And when we do ask friends to pray for us, is it more likely to be for a practical need about a a work situation or a house move or um, pain that we're experiencing some medical need? Or do we ever ask about our spiritual needs? As Paul did, what an example. And so to the final greetings, um, verse 21. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. He gets an identical mention in Colossians. He's entrusted, obviously, with the role of director of communications and encouragements. Described as a dear brother and faithful servant, it's reasonable to suppose that, like Paul, he was a man of prayer. And then Paul Uh, As he began the letter with the greeting, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So in verses 23 and 24, he finishes with a similar greeting, which again is really a prayer. He picks up the three great qualities of the Christian life, the three blessings of which he has said so much in his letter, and prays that his readers may possess some peace, peace with God, peace in the heart, peace with one another, and then love with faith. In one sense, love springs from faith, and without faith's union with Christ, love cannot begin to grow. And finally, for grace, which has been such a major theme of the whole letter, the prayer for grace is for those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Those who love the Lord will do so with an undying love, for in him they have eternal life. Two questions for us to think about, or at least for me to think about, about prayer. Does prayer, firstly, does prayer really have the place in our lives that it should? And I suspect I would not, I'm not the only one who would say it doesn't. But secondly, have we grasped the real purpose of prayer? Do we see prayer as little more than the means of presenting to God our needs and desires and those on behalf of others, trusting that God will, if it's his purpose, meet those needs and desires? Or do we also see the value of spending time alone with our Heavenly Father, as Jesus did? Is the time we spend alone in prayer with the Lord a measure of our love for him? Or should it be? Charles Spurgeon said, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. And surely, true prayer above all else is relationship building with God in the same way that we have to spend time with anyone with whom we desire to build and maintain a relationship. The reality, of course, is that many of us find prayer tough. Years ago, when overtaken with guilt, that I was not praying as, as I should, and it happened often, my response was to charge off to a local Christian bookshop and select a book on prayer. I was always spoilt for choice. It seemed that half the books in the shop were on prayer. The books made no difference. Perhaps I just picked up the wrong ones. When I checked out the website of a Christian bookseller this week and searched for books on prayer, I was invited to browse more than 3,000. I was also offered a lovely Hollywood prayer heart. <coughs> Reading books on prayer is not the answer. I discovered that many years ago, although undoubtedly some are helpful. But I would recommend... The Psalms, tremendously helpful as we pray. And hymn books as well. Many of the hymns and songs are prayers in themselves and can be really helpful. But why do we find prayer tough? There are many reasons, but may I suggest that above all else, it's because we are engaged in that battle with Satan. Does Satan have a greater awareness of the power of prayer than we do? 
and so is determined to keep us from our knees? Will we determine not to surrender to Satan? As I close, may I encourage you to meet regularly with a friend to pray. One-to-ones, Daniel's mentioned that, encourage us to meet one-to-ones. They're great for reading the Bible together, but also great for praying together. But please avoid the usual pitfall of talking about praying, barely leaving five or ten minutes to pray. May I also encourage you to make our monthly prayer gathering a priority if it isn't already. For many of us, it's a real joy to meet as a church, to pray. And as we pray, we encourage each other. But more important than either of those is to follow the supreme example of Jesus and spend time alone with the Father. As I was preparing, he brought to my mind another old hymn. Many of you would have never heard of it, but the words mean so much. Take time to be holy. Speak often with the Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him you will be and your friends in your conduct his likeness shall see. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the great privilege that we have in being able to come before you at any time, confident that you delight to meet with us, that you hear all our prayers and will answer our petitions according to your perfect will. But we confess that often we are reluctant to spend time alone with you. Please forgive us. Please help us to recognise our weakness and our dependence upon you for the strength we need each day. Please put into our hearts that same longing to spend time with you as you have to welcome us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.